0: Thank you again, praise team, for preparing us so well to thank our God and to worship him. And now to come together before the Lord under the instruction of his word. One of my favorite old westerns was uh, that I enjoy watching very much is uh, The Rifleman starring Chuck Connors. And I like that program for two reasons. Number one, the family values are very refreshing, are they not? As uh, you see a strong man seeking to raise his son to be a real man in the Wild West. A second reason why I really enjoy the program is Christianity was highly extolled in many of the episodes. Uh, Lucas McCain would read the Bible, he would quote the Bible. Rather than sending his son to church, he would take his son to church. I remember one episode where a tragedy occurred and Lucas told the whole story of Job to his son Mark. And it was just incredible to hear that. But recently I came across a YouTube video of old rifleman bloopers and gaffes during filming. I was shocked. Shocked to hear Connors swearing, using the Lord's name in vain, multiple times. See, I thought Chuck Connors and Lucas McCain were one. I thought what I saw on the screen was real life. But now I realize it was just an act. The rifleman was play-acting. His Christianity was put on. Very disappointing when you feel like you've been deceived, isn't it? I mean, when someone turns out to be the opposite of what you thought, it's a huge letdown. But do you know what is worse than being deceived by others? It is deceiving yourself. You see, it's one thing to be led astray by somebody else, but it is greatly, greatly worse to lead yourself astray. Because that is much, much harder to detect. One of Jesus' most well-known parables is on the danger of self-deception. In fact, he concludes the Sermon on the Mount with this parable. I want you to turn there with me this morning to Matthew chapter 7. And I want you to follow along as I read for us today verses 24 through 27. We may think we know this parable, but probably we do not understand Jesus true intent let me read it for you this morning matthew 7:24 to 27 jesus says therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock the rain came down the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But, but, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, Jesus has been warning us about false teachers and false followers. And now in this parable, he gives an illustration. Uh, This parable does not give us new teaching. Rather, it applies what Jesus has been saying. Now, oftentimes, when we come to this parable uh, between the foolish man and the wise man, We think that it is talking about the Christian versus the non-Christian. But I want to tell you this morning, that is not it at all. In context, this parable is talking about the true Christian versus the false Christian. It is talking about the true believer versus the play actor. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was the famed pastor of Westminster Chapel for many years, preached several sermons on this parable alone. Listen to what he had to say about it. He said, everything about the picture is meant to show us the difference between the false and the true profession of Christianity. The difference between the Christian and the seeming Christian. Between the man who really is born again and is a child of God and the man who only thinks he is, it is the whole purpose of our Lord's picture that we should be warned against and made aware of the subtle danger of self-delusion. This morning, I want us to return to this message we started last week on what Jesus has to say about two foundations. And the Lord is going to do two things today. Number one, he's going to restate the principle that he gave to us in the previous section. And then he is going to apply it in this parable to true Christians and to false Christians. And so would you take a moment and bow with me in prayer as once again we come to a very sober, and a very penetrating portion of Scripture. Let's bow for just a moment. Father, I pray today that the words of my mouth, and the meditation of my heart, may be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray, Lord, today that as a steward of the mysteries of God, knowing that you have called me to be faithful, that I would be faithful today. As the Apostle Paul could say to his people, I held back nothing that was profitable to you, but I declared to you the whole counsel of God. So, Lord, today, may we also learn the whole counsel of God. Guide us today in understanding our Savior accurately, that we may be warned but we also may find hope and encouragement in his wonderful work in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin this parable, it is very clear that Jesus is restating the principle that he gave back in verse 21. And that principle is the only sure test of having a relationship with Jesus Christ Is doing his will. Now you'll notice as you look at verse 26 and verse 24 that they very clearly connect back to verse 21. Look at verse 24, but everyone who hears these words of mine, verse 26. Then look back at verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine. Then go back to verse 21, not everyone who says, to me. It is very clear that the parable is designed to restate this principle from verse 21. Now, remember that Jesus is not telling us here how to become a Christian. If that were the case, he would be teaching us that salvation is by works, but salvation is not by works, it is by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. But what Jesus is doing is he is telling us what should result when we have become a Christian. And what should result is a life of obedience. He is giving us the same warning we find in James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves, but do what it says. He is giving us the very same warning that God gave to Ezekiel's listeners back in Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 31 and 32. Listen to what God said to the people who would gather weekly to hear the prophet Ezekiel. Listen to his words. My people come to you as they usually do, and they sit before you to listen to your words, but they do not put them into practice. With their mouths they express devotion, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well. For they hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. You see, false Christians hear and say... They make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but that's where it stops. The true Christian hears and says they profess faith in the Lord Jesus as well, but it doesn't end there. They endeavor to do. Remember in the Great Commission how Jesus' uh, final words ringing in our ears in Matthew twenty-eight twenty is that we are to teach his followers to do everything that he commanded us that is always the fundamental test that keeps us from self-deception and self-delusion. Now, in light of that principle in verse 24, Jesus says, Therefore, therefore, let us see this truth graphically illustrated in a parable. Now, as we look at this parable between the the false Christian and the true Christian, I want you to notice that the very first thing that jumps out at us and that strikes us is the similarity between these two builders. Did you notice that as you look at this very, very familiar parable? Uh, For example, we notice uh, that both of these builders look alike in good weather. Uh, they are both building houses that in normal weather conditions look very much alike. It's very interesting. Around the Sea of Galilee, in the summertime, the hot weather bakes the sand extremely hard. And you can understand what would happen. Uh, somebody who is in a hurry uh, to get their house up very quickly would look at this hard sand baked by the sun sun in the summer and be tempted to build a home on what looks like solid ground. You can hear them reasoning, can you not? Well, this will be okay. This will work out. And so they build their home on this sandy foundation. Now, in the parable here in verse 24... Jesus says the wise builder builds on the rock. It's very interesting. In Luke 6.48, it says the wise builder dug deep. He knew that the hard sand was a mirage. It was not a solid foundation. Uh, The word here for rock is the Greek word for bedrock. And you can begin to understand what happened. As he saw this hardened sand in the summer, he recognized this was simply a mirage. And so instead, he took the time and the effort to dig down through that sand to the bedrock, which he knew was a stable foundation. Now, here is the point for us to notice. From the outward view, you could not tell the difference. The difference. As long as the weather was good, these two houses appeared identical. You know what we would say about them? They both had bedrooms, bathrooms. They had windows. They had stairs. They were freshly painted. At a well-groomed and mowed lawn, everything about them looked identical. Now, here's what our Savior is saying. False Christians look just like true Christians when things are going well. They attend the same church, sing the same songs. They bring their children to the same kids' clubs. They give a similar offering. Did you notice that both of these individuals listen to Jesus' words? Look at verse 24. Uh, The wise builder, he hears these words of mine. And look at verse 26. Uh, The foolish builder, he hears these words of mine. Both individuals listen to the same sermons. They read the same Bible. When the weather is good, you cannot tell the difference at all. When I was a child growing up, we often would go to visit our relatives and we would travel there. One of the things that the adults would do is is they would love to gather around the piano and my sister would play. And they would get out the hymnal and they would sing hymn after hymn after hymn. And I remember watching them as a child. Now, the casual observer, just looking on that scene, would have thought, all are Christians. They're singing the same words. Same enthusiasm in their voice. Same smile as they sang those hymns. But some who sang right along with the rest turned out not to be Christians. You see, outward looks can be deceiving. Let's notice the second similarity. Second similarity is that both experience the blows, what the Bible would describe as the tests of life. Look again what happened to both. Uh, Verse 25, it's almost identical. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Verse 27, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Now, Jesus here is describing perfectly the climate in Israel. There are few rains all year long, but when the rainy season comes, oh my goodness, there are heavy rains, tremendous winds, and... There are flash floods. The streams that Jesus is describing here were ravines. They were turned into raging torrents as heavy rainfall would come down, cascading down mountainsides, and turn into these raging torrents, making these ravines into flash floods. I wondered if I could find any examples of these flash floods in the Middle East, and let me share with you a couple of them that I found. These are flash flood images from the Middle East, And you can see the devastating power of these flash floods. Look at this image. The power of these raging torrents makes these cars look like little matchbox cars. Now, I look at the scene that Jesus is describing. And all of us would like to think that true Christians have an easier time of it, wouldn't we? We would like to think that we are not tested as hard as others are. Do you know I've actually heard pastors say that God does not send hardships on his people? I one time was rebuked by a pastor for saying that very thing. What he said uh, to me in response as he rebuked me is he said the devastating blows that come to believers are always the work of the devil. They are never the work of God. Have you ever read Lamentations 3 verse 38? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High? that both calamities and good things come? What comes from the mouth of Most High? Good things and calamities. There are many verses in the Bible that are just like that. God is a God who tests our faith. In fact, Genesis 22.1 says this about Abraham... At a later time, God tested Abraham. Now, you remember, Abraham is the father of all who believe. Therefore, if God tested him, he will test us. What are some of these hard blows that God sends? Well, it could be a great temptation, tempting us to throw away everything that is valuable for temporary gain. It could be a bitter disappointment like the failure of a business or the loss of a job or a job promotion. It could be a, a great hurt like the betrayal of a spouse or maybe a Christian brother who turns against us. It could be a great tragedy like an accident that leaves us paralyzed or or an incurable disease that we are afflicted with. It could even be great persecution like some of those Iraqi Christians who have been beheaded by ISIS for their faith. All of those things can come to the child of God. Now, let me be very clear this morning. God does not directly cause every blow that comes to us, but hear the Bible very clear He permits every single one. That's very clear. God does not always cause every calamity that comes, but He permits every single one. And if we ask the question, why does God do this? I love this response that John Calvin gave. Would you look at what Calvin said is so very, very critical for us to get. True piety is not fully distinguished from its counterfeit till it comes to the trial. Precisely. That's the point. The false Christian and the true Christian often is never distinguished until it comes to the trial. And that's where this parable turns so dramatically. What looks very, very similar on the surface becomes very different in trials. Let's look at these differences that Jesus points out. We move very clearly in this parable from what is similar to what is different. And I want you to notice the differences, all right? Here are the first two. The false Christian under the blows of life falls flat on a faulty foundation. But the true Christian stands strong on a solid foundation. I ask you this morning, which one are you? We've all been here singing, hearing prayers, listening to the word of God. We have our Bibles open. But when the horrible, devastating blows of life come, do we fall flat because we have a faulty foundation or do we stand strong because we have a solid foundation? And we have to look very carefully because there are two important points of grammar that show us the difference between the two. Let me point them out to you. In verse 24, the true Christian is described like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He is like. That phrase is actually a future tense. We could translate it that this person will become like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. What Jesus is saying to us here is that the true Christian puts Jesus' words into practice and having put them into practice over the course of their life, that makes that person very strong. Drop down to verse 25 and notice the end of verse 25. It says about the wise man and the house that he built that it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. That expression, it had its foundation on the rock, is the pluperfect tense in Greek. The pluperfect is very, very rare. You see it very, very rarely in, in, in the New Testament. What the pluperfect refers to is an action in the past that had ongoing results. What Jesus is saying about the wise man is that he had in the past built upon the Savior's teaching. And as the result of building on that teaching, he now has a secure foundation. He fortified his life in the past, by building upon the teaching of Christ, now when the storms have come, he has built up a solid foundation. Therefore, when they devastate his life, he is able to stand strong. But notice the foolish man. The foolish man did not fortify his life on Jesus' teaching. And therefore, verse 25 says, his house crashed. You see, the foolish man had no eagerness to learn. He had no desire to know the truth. There was no passion in his life to walk with Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in John 8? 30 and 31 and 32, he said, If you hold to my teaching, then are you my disciples indeed. He said, You will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. But the foolish person does not search for Jesus' teaching and hold to it. They have not been in the process of building this solid foundation. And therefore, when the blows of life come, they have nothing to stand on. Now, let me tell you two results that usually will happen for the false Christian. Number one, they will either start acting like a non-Christian. Or number two, they will abandon their faith altogether. Those are the two things that will inevitably happen. One day in my former church, I was preaching on this text. young father came to me after the service, and uh, he was very, very broken. He said to me, Pastor, I've been building on sand all my life. It was very, very obvious that he was broken by this teaching. He prayed one of the most tender prayers of repentance that I have ever heard, I thought, wow, there's going to be a transformation in his life. Sadly, all that it was, was emotion. There were tears, but there was no action. Within a relatively short period of time, he went back to building on sand He continued as a recreational pot smoker. He eventually left his wife, took up with another woman. He ruined his family. Though he prayed one of the most tender prayers of repentance I have ever heard, I have never seen that man And my great fear was he was a false Christian. Over the years of my ministry, I've had three women, all raised in and around the church, tell me that they were mad at God. I won't go into uh, all of the circumstances, but all three of them had very difficult trials in their life. One was a former church youth leader Another has a brother who, to this very day, trains pastors. All three abandon any attempt to walk with Christ. In the midst of their trials, their foundations collapsed. You know what one said to me? God has been good to others. When is it going to be my turn? Do you hear the resentment in that? Do you hear God has not been fair to me in that? Another one said to me, I've been a good girl all my life. Where has it gotten me? The last time I saw her sister-in-law, she said to me this, Brian, if you saw Chris today, you would not recognize her. She has become a hardened woman. See, those are the two routes that the false Christian takes. They either abandon their faith altogether or they begin in hardness to live like the non-Christian. It is the tests of life that reveal the truth. Notice there's another difference. This one is very sobering. False Christians are sentenced to eternal judgment. True Christians are separated from eternal judgment. We're spared. Look again at verse 25. And notice what it says about the true believer. It did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But verse 27, describing the end of the false Christian, says, It fell with a great crash. Now, we need to follow here the teaching of the whole Bible on storms. Storms here are not just earthly trials, but they are God's eternal judgment. We cannot help reading about what happened here to the foolish builder without thinking of the great flood in Genesis 6.17. Listen to what God said. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on the earth will perish. And that depicts the final judgment that is to come. The expression here, fell with a great crash, carries the idea of collapsed with complete ruin. Now, we do not know and understand exactly everything that is true about hell. Some of the details we find in the Bible are details that are figurative. Some are literal details but there are many, many pictures of what hell will be. The imagery here that Jesus is using to depict hell is this common image that all of us have seen of a house that has collapsed due to a faulty foundation and therefore is completely ruined. Let me tell you what happened to this house. There were torrential rains in Wisconsin back in 2008. A lake in Wisconsin overflowed and the entire contents emptied out into the river of Wisconsin, turning the Wisconsin River into a raging torrent. And you can see what happened to this home. Because it was built too close to the river's bank, When the raging torrent, the storms came, it washed out the foundation from underneath it, and it totally collapsed in total ruin. Jesus is saying to us, this is what hell is. It is the total ruin of a life separated for all eternity from God. Here's another image of a flash flood, this time in the Middle East. And notice these cars, totally devastated, totally destroyed, totally ruined. Jesus is saying this is his image of hell. It is a life forever ruined in separation from God. There's a great alternative, isn't there? There's a great alternative. We can receive Christ. Build upon His Word. Follow Him in faith and obedience. And as we do, the foundation below us will grow and grow and get stronger and more and more solid. And then the devastating things that that come along, that sweep the average person off of their feet and they shake their fist at God and say, I will not follow a God like this. Instead, we cling to Him. We follow Him. And then someday, because we really belong to Him, when the flood of God's eternal judgment comes over this world, we stand true and we're taken into heaven. How sober is the warning? A wonderful is the opportunity. Let's bow together for a moment. Like you, I have never seen this parable in the way Jesus really wanted us to understand it. And I recognize how easy it is for those of us who are in the church to trifle with Christ. Come to church to hear, to listen, to sing, and to remain unchanged. To be challenged by what Christ has commanded us, and yet slough it off. And live underneath, essentially. Unlike non-believers around us. Over the years of my ministry, I've conducted many funerals. The vast majority of church members I believed were going to heaven. But there are some I could not be sure about. And this morning, as Jesus speaks so powerfully to me and speaks to you, you need to settle where you are with Christ. You need to make sure that you belong to Him and He belongs to you. That you are Developing the character of the Beatitudes in your life. That you are like those who teach others to obey the least of God's commands, knowing that that's what makes you great in the kingdom of heaven. And that there's the evidence that you are a true follower rather than merely a hearer deceiving your own self. Let me invite you again for any who are uncertain to turn to the Savior today. You may say something like this from your heart to his, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm lost. I know that I'm without hope. But I believe that you died for me and rose again. And I do repent. I turn from my own selfish way and I turn to you. I invite you into my life, Lord Jesus, to be my Savior. I invite you into my heart to be my Lord. I ask that you would forgive me of my many sins. That you would give me the gift of eternal life. That you would make me a child of God. knowing, Lord, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I now go forward from this day to live for you, seeking from a changed heart to do all that you have commanded me to do. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. And then today, could we all pray privately? For people we are very concerned are false Christians, they have just enough whitewash of Christianity to be self-deluded. And perhaps we feel powerless to say anything to them or they will not hear. But we pray that the Spirit of God will open their deluded eyes before their foundation washes away at the judgment. Oh God, I think of relatives of mine. I think of people I know and care about who I'm very concerned have built upon the sand and will fall with a great crash. God, some I've reached out to. Others are so complacent. May you, by your Spirit, bring them true conviction. Disturb their comfortableness. Cause them to question their false assurance. Bring them to a place of brokenness and true repentance. Lord Jesus, thank you for the hard teaching. Thank you that you do not hold back. Thank you that you know how serious these matters are, how high the stakes are. How trifling with you is such a serious matter. And we pray that you will draw men and women, boys and girls, to yourself, our wonderful Savior and Lord. For it's in His name that we pray.